0: Hey everyone. Um, so seating wise, uh, there's the third row over here. There's a bunch of seats if you want to slip in or you can be in the dreaded front row. Up to you. Uh, my name's Tony. I have the joy of being able to serve here. We were on sabbatical in July and, you know, it's just like this, this moment when you realize, you know, you're like, ah oh, man, I got to get away. And then I realized, you know, I really love being a pastor here. So it's like awesome to get away, but it wasn't one of those sabbaticals or vacations where you're like, ugh, I have to go back on Monday. I was like, oh, I'm excited. So I'm glad to be back and able to be uh, with you this morning. Now, usually we kind of like go through a book of the scriptures for two reasons. Uh, One, we just think the scriptures are incredibly important uh, to our life of faith. And two, it's a lot easier to teach out of the Bible than to just make stuff up. So... It's just like, that's what we generally do. Um, we're in a series right now, though, where, um, so when we decided started to come down here to do this church plant, we were trying to figure out, so how do you help people not just learn theology, but actually practice the way of Jesus, right? If you've been around church for a while, you know, like, it's, it's a lot easier to learn what you're supposed to say than to live out what you're supposed to live out. So we tried to wrestle with, like, how do you do that? So our best attempt at that is ABLE. ABLE is our discipleship acronym. If you go into our website, you'll get way more information. But essentially, we have four different major disciplines or, like, areas of focus. And then we have practices that flow out of those areas. So attend, bless, learn, eat. So if you go on the website, you'll see we have four attend practices. Floor, bless, floor, learn. You get the idea. But each of these letters stands for something. So attend. How do we make space to attend to the person and presence of God? How do we become a people that do that? How do we become a people that are actually a blessing? Not just in church walls, but outside of church walls. How do we become a people that are learning from the Scriptures and from God in life? How do we become a people that eat? You're like, I eat every day yes, thank you. Yeah, you do. But how do we become a people that use eating as a way to build connection with people inside and outside the church to embody the welcome of God? So what we're going to do over the next four weeks is we, you know, are going to pick one practice from each of those categories. And over, you know, the course of a few years, our hope is to cover each of the different practices uh, a couple times a year. Maybe uh, we'll hit a couple of them. Uh, Today, We're going to talk about attend. And specifically, I want to talk about one of the practices that we focus on in attend, and that's healing. Now, if you read through the Gospels, you really can't go more than a page without realizing, oh, Jesus really cares about healing people, wherever He goes. Jesus heals people. People are flocking from Jerusalem, all of Judea, to be healed, by him. Often this healing is physical. He heals a hand or a foot. But often, you know, if if you've ever had a physical ailment. Has anyone ever had a physical ailment? As, you know, limited creatures, sometimes that happens. We realize that often physical ailments are immediately connected to what we do socially and how we experience the world emotionally. Right? I was uh, getting physical therapy for like... I don't know, it's about like forever, uh, on my neck. And I didn't just go because I wanted my neck to feel better. What I realized is that my neck was affecting my participation socially in life. Right? And when my neck wasn't feeling good and I wasn't participating, I felt emotionally isolated. I felt discouraged. I felt frustrated. I felt angry. Right? So, we start to see that physical, social, and emotional are all interconnected. Anyone who's struggled with any kind of ongoing illness, physical pain, knows this all too well. So it shouldn't surprise us when we actually go and look at Jesus' healing in the New Testament. We see these things start to intermingle a lot. This is one example. This is from Luke 5, chapters, uh, verses 12 through 14. If you have a Bible, feel free to read it, or you can read it on the screen, it'll be projected. While Jesus was in one of the towns, a man came along who was covered with leprosy. When he saw Jesus, he fell with his face on the ground and begged him, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. And immediately, the leprosy left him. Then Jesus ordered him, don't tell anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifice that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Now, if you've read the New Testament, you know, you, you might have some sense of leprosy and its social, emotional, spiritual, physical implications. But if you're not super familiar with that, let's just do a quick review. Um, so we don't know much about this guy. We don't know his story. We don't know his You know, family of origin stuff. We don't know how he experienced leprosy. But we do know one thing in particular. As a result of his leprosy, he was socially excluded. We know that. Right? When you are determined you have a skin disease, you would have had to go outside of the people. Right? So this would have all kinds of implications. You're at home one day. You get diagnosed with leprosy. Now you can't go home. You had a job, now now you can't go to work. You had hobbies, yeah, they're off the table too, unless you enjoy them in the desert by yourself. Right, you want to go worship at the temple, you want to go practice, uh, go to the synagogue uh, on the Sabbath and learn from the scriptures, yeah, you can't do that either. All kinds of implications. You remember at the beginning of the pandemic, when you uh, were walking down the street, And there was a person like a hundred yards away from you. You'd start walking and they'd be like, beep, 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 other side of the street. Do you remember that? And we all thought, oh, this is sort of silly or funny or weird or awkward or whatever. Imagine that's every day of your life. You're walking down the street. People notice you other side of the road. Now, I don't know about this guy, I don't don't know him, but I, I can tell you for me, I think that would be very lonely for me. I think I'd probably feel pretty isolated. You know, if it went on long enough, maybe I'd get depressed. Now, we don't know how this man feels, but we do know this. He asks Jesus, make me clean. And what we know is that's not just, hey, take the leprosy off the body, but restore me to community. Restore me to the worshipers that I can go to the temple and worship God with everyone else. Restore me to the the practice on the Sabbath where we gather and read from the scrolls. Restore me. There's a lot of layers to this request. Now let's look at what Jesus does. It's funny, sometimes I think we read these and we just assume, oh, he just, he just healed the guy. Totally, you're right. But notice what he does first. Jesus' first step in healing this man is actually to touch him. He touches him. You know, and and maybe he had been touched, you know, with the other folks that were outside, you know, but he hadn't been touched from a holy person, I'll guarantee you that. Certainly not a religious professional, certainly not someone who really cared about the law and was considered clean. This is the first time in however long that he has been touched by someone. The first thing Jesus does is respond to this guy's social and emotional needs. I remember uh, when my son, I think was between one and two, and I'd, you know, no matter my day at work, whether it was a good day or a bad day, uh, I'd come home and he'd come running up and he'd grab my leg and give me a hug. I still remember how that felt. You know, seven years later, I bet you this guy remembers how it felt to be touched by Jesus after months or years or decades of being excluded by others. And after Jesus touches him, addressing maybe his loneliness, his sense of exclusion, Jesus physically heals him. Leprosy. Gone. But notice this isn't the end either. Next, he, te- he doesn't tell the guy, hey, share about the kingdom of God. Share about my healing. That's not what he does. Instead, he tells him to go to the priest. Right? According to the law, cleansing from leprosy is not publicly effective without the priest saying, you're good. Right? It's like, you could go to all kinds of places today, hey, I don't have COVID. But if you don't bring a negative test, good luck. Right, The priest was your negative leprosy test. And what we see from this short story is that Jesus not only cares about this guy's physical symptoms. He cares about his social experience. He cares almost certainly about his emotional experience. He cares about his ability to worship with the gathered community. And the truth is Jesus does this all the time in the Gospels. I mean, whether it's explicitly mentioned or not, right, as we stated before, right, physical healing always has social and emotional costs and things associated with it. And Jesus does so much in the Gospels, in His life, that actually one of the ways the early church even frames Jesus' ministry, His life and death, is in terms of healing. Peter, uh, he wrote a letter to various churches in Turkey and he quotes Isaiah 53 to frame Jesus' entire ministry, right? By his wounds we are healed, right? Jesus heals us, especially through his death. And Jesus clearly understands his own Ministry this way as well. So, the beginning of Luke, one chapter before in Luke 4, Jesus has an opportunity to read from the scroll of Isaiah to set like his ministry platform. I mean, this is kind of like his, you know, this is his elevator pitch. All right, what am I going to be about? Here you guys, ready? This is what he reads from Isaiah 61. He has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, he has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. He's going to share the gospel. Yes, amen, Jesus. He's going to set people free that are oppressed. He's going to bring sight to the blind and heal the brokenhearted. I don't know how many times I've read that and I've skipped over that part when Jesus is setting the stage for His ministry. Yeah, He's probably going to heal some limbs, some eyes, some ears. He's going to address power structures. He's going to preach. And He's going to deal with broken hearts. Have you ever noticed that? And it's interesting, actually, the more I read the Bible, and the more I sit in Genesis 1 through 3, Right, especially Genesis three, which frames sort of the problem of the Bible. The more I realize how important this holistic element of Jesus' healing is, right? Jesus is the solution to the problem of the scriptures, and the problem of the scriptures originates in Genesis three. And what the problem says that needs a solution is that the division. Between us and God, between us and one another, and even within ourselves. So it makes sense that when Jesus comes to bring healing on earth, He's going to address all three of those elements. Let's go through each of them just quickly. Uh, these are the problems introduced by Genesis three. First, sin divides us from God. Right, Adam and Eve—they're living in harmony in the garden. They're naked and unashamed but then they sin, right? They eat from the tree they're told not to eat from. They go their own way and the first impulse upon hearing God's footsteps, hearing God's voice is to hide. Genesis 3, 6. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord as God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day and they hid from the Lord among the trees of the garden. Right? The first problem Introduced in Genesis 3 that will follow throughout all of the scriptures is that we hide from God, right? This open and trusting relationship has been destroyed, right? The Old Testament is essentially a chronicle of this estrangement and its results. Isaiah writes, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned to our own way. Second, the second problem of the fall is that sin divides us from each other. Genesis 3.12, right? When God asks Adam, hey, what happened here? Adam says, my bad, no. The man said, the woman. Yeah, this plays out still, yeah. The woman who you gave to be with me, she gave me fruit from the tree, and I ate. Right, the first, one of the first fruits of sin is blame. Notice what he does, though. He blames God and Eve. You gave her to me some gift. She handed, her, handed it to me. Not my fault. Genesis 3, sin undermines human connection and relationships. Read the Bible. It's a chronicle of it. Three, and I think we sometimes miss this one, sin divides us within ourselves. In Genesis 2, man and woman, they are naked and without shame. Can you even imagine that? To be so comfortable in yourself, and with God and with others, you're just total open book, totally free. The first thing that happens after the fall is they, they feel shame, which means they're not, they're just, they don't think they're okay. Right? And they hide from one another. And then immediately after they ha- hear the sound of God approaching and they feel fear, shame and fear. And both of these, right, lead to covering and hiding and suggest that a result of sin, humans don't really feel even comfortable in themselves. Where right? if you flip to the New Testament, Paul starts sort of touching on this, right? Romans 7, for I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. There's almost this internal battle in conflict within the human person. The Apostle James also riffs on this in James 4. He talks about the conflicts and disputes he sees within the church arise from the people's cravings that he says are at war within you. The battleground isn't just between humans and God or between husbands and wives or man and woman. The battleground is even within the human person. Internal division. Division between each other, division between God. These are the problems introduced by Genesis 3 that we see Jesus is trying to address in Luke 5. He doesn't just heal the leper's body. Right? He's trying to reconnect him to community so he can be worshiping God in the temple with brothers and sisters, right? which addresses both the division between him and God and in community with others. He touches him first as a way to deal with, man, could you imagine the shame of walking around every time you go, people go to the other side of the street. You start to ask yourself, maybe something even more is wrong with me, not just what is on my skin. Jesus' holistic healing in the Gospels is dealing with the problems of sin that start in Genesis 3. So it makes sense that when we actually think about healing, we think about it in this more holistic way. And this is why when the prophets are starting to imagine Jesus and the Messiah and the ministry he's going to do, they don't just say something like, and God will give you a new rule book so that you can obey. They don't say that. They don't say, hey, rock behavior modification and you're good. Instead, right, Ezekiel writes things like God saying to us, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. Right, the work that they anticipate of the Messiah, of Jesus, is a deep, Work that addresses the problem of sin, the division between us and God, us and one another, and even in the human heart. And this is why when you see Jesus interacting with the religious professionals of his day, the scribes and the Pharisees, he is ruthless. Matthew 23, 25. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! Hypocrites! For you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. The Pharisees think, hey, the religious life, rock your theology, get your behaviors down so everyone thinks you're doing the right thing and you're good to go. And Jesus is like, man, you guys have no idea how insidious and contagious sin is. So it makes sense that when Jesus comes to offer a solution to the problem of sin, right, he just doesn't say, rock your theology, mind your behaviors. Right? His solution is to transform us from the inside out, to offer us heart surgery. When you uh, read the Bible out of Genesis 3, what you also notice, though, is that this is not just an individual thing. What you start to notice is, you know, even though, you know, modern psychology wasn't invented, they get that sin is transmitted through families. You know, God calls Abraham to be a blessing to the world, then look at the next four generations of his family. I'll just highlight two things. If you look at the way sin and brokenness passes, Abraham... He's afraid and he lies as a result, right? He and Sarah are going places. People ask, is that your wife? He's like, no, 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 that's my sister. Self-protection. He's afraid of what's going to happen to him, so he lies. Then we hop to the next generation. What does his son Isaac do? He goes into a new place. He feels afraid. So what does he tell people? Oh, Rebecca, she's my sister. I wonder where he learned that. But in this generation, it gets worse. Isaac and Rebekah's marriage is filled with lies and trickery. Rebekah even tricks Isaac, her husband, into blessing Jacob instead of Esau. Which then brings us to the third generation, Jacob, who lies even more. So much so that his name even means deceiver. And it shouldn't surprise us then when Jacob's kids grow up, what do they do? They lie to their father that Joseph, who they didn't like, died, but really they sell him off to slavery. Still not convinced? Now go through these four generations and watch how sibling rivalry and relational cutoff play out through those four generations, the family divisions that follow. But the truth is, I don't need to point you to the Bible for you to know these things all you have to do is look at your own family. And you can see how the things that your mom and father did or did not do affect you. And if you're old enough, to have had children, you can now see how some of those things are now coming out in the behavior and posture of your children. And if you have grandchildren, you can see even farther. Now, how does this relate to us? Well, right, Jesus wants to form a new family in the church. He wants us to live as this loving family that honors Him whose heart and mind and everything is aligned with Him. Right? He wants us to love one another, to cherish and accept one another as He cherishes and loves us. In order to do that kind of stuff, we need to be transformed. We need to deal with all the kinds of things that affect how we relate with one another. Right? Just as emotional and relational brokenness passes through the four generations of Abraham's line, so it passes through all families to greater and lesser degrees, depending on how much Jesus has brought healing to you. And then if we don't deal with those issues, we carry those wounds, those patterns of brokenness here. And if you've attended church long enough, you've seen what happens when people bring those wounds and brokenness into the pews, into worship, and all the division that ensues. This is why we can't ignore Jesus' challenge to the Pharisees to clean the inside of the cup. I see, they knew their theology, right? They had their religious behavior down. Like, they knew Sabbath practices better than anyone. What they didn't do is allow God in to heal them at a deeper level so that they didn't transmit all that baggage, into the new family that Jesus was forming on earth. right? Jesus wants to address all the consequences of Genesis 3. Divisions between us and God. Divisions between us and one another and even in us. Right, so that's, that's Luke 5. That's Jesus healing, right? And the, trying to like expand your sort of mind on what does it look like for Jesus to bring healing and now I'm trying to shape it within the frame of Genesis 3 so you can see that what Jesus is bringing is a solution to the problem of sin introduced at the beginning of the Bible. What I want now is try and contextually situate what would this look like now. I want to do that by just sharing a little bit of my story so you can get a sense of, you know, First century, Genesis 3, what would that look like today? This is my story. It's not yours. So it's not like a template that you can say, okay, one, two, three, four. But it is a window into how God heals today. Chapter 1. Now, my college football team had a bunch of Christians on it. The truth is, growing up in the Berkeley, Oakland area, I had never met a Christian my own age until I played college football. <laughs> kind of crazy to think about. Now, one of these guys had one of the defensive ends. Uh, he invited me to this Bible study. I went. I kept going for various reasons. I'm not going to get into very few of them Very spiritual. Uh, And by the end of the year, I was invited to do this like intensive study and I talked to my dad. I was like, you know, because I was going to go stay with him. And I was like, I think I'm doing this. He said no. And I said, okay, I'm going, right? It was a great motivator for me. And I showed up at this week-long study on day three. I read something like this, what do you gain if you gain the whole world? and lose yourself or your soul who you really are it was funny in that moment God showed up it was kind of like he like snuck behind the walls I had created (laughs) and in that moment I've never felt so accepted and cared for I'd never experienced kindness like that it was just this Overwhelming experience. I remember the moment coming back, and we went in to sing songs. I had sung songs before, but I'll tell you this: I had never worshipped. I remember on Wednesday nights we'd go to this gathering where there was songs, and I would literally lay in the back just weeping. Because the truth is, because I had built this wall around me, I had no idea. How much pain had built up until I was with God and the safety and comfort of His presence. And then I realized, oh my gosh, I have a lot of stored up junk in here. But that was just the beginning. The truth is, you know, I grew like exponentially for a few years. And Jesus was dealing with that division between me and him and some of that internal division in me. And it was glorious. It was so wonderful. But you see, I'd never really had a healthy relationship with another human being. I didn't really have a vision for how Jesus' family was supposed to love one another and function. So I was super surprised when Sarah Reggio showed up on the second floor of Boswell Dorm and told me, Tony, do you realize how your anger is affecting people in this community? I was like, what? What are you talking about? Yeah, Tony, like, when you don't like what someone says, you get really defensive and reactive. And then if you even pick up on the fact that someone maybe doesn't like something about you, you just avoid them and withdraw relationally from them. Do you notice you do this? No. Truth is, Sarah was totally right. And I did with most, you know, 20-somethings do. I totally ignored her. (laughs) Which brings me to chapter 3. Now, because I totally ignored Sarah these patterns kept following me. I had the same conflict patterns, withdrawing, avoiding relationships. I kept playing them out with coworkers, with friends, people in our church community. I loved Jesus, but I was relationally unhealthy. And then I met David Alvarez. (laughs) and David invited me into this group called The Healing Path, and essentially all you do... There's like teaching, but really what you do is you meet with a couple guys or girls, right? There's different gender-based groups. And in the presence of Jesus, you tell people your junk, your pain, your shame, things that have happened to you, things that you have done, and all they do is love on you and pray for you in the presence of the Father. The truth is, I had never done that. I remember the first time I met up with some guys in college on my football team, and they're like, hey, let's sit and pray together. I remember literally sitting with them and saying, yeah, I've never really been friends with a Christian. I'm not going to do this. But as I let other people in, I began to experience some of their acceptance. I started to feel a little safer started to feel like maybe I can just be me in this space, a little less reactive, a little less defensive. And as I did this, God began to work in me when I started to notice, as I started to be able to love other people a little bit better. God actually began to use me as I became more relationally healthy to embody His love in the world. Because right? humans were created to bear God's image. So as Jesus heals us, right, he then sends us into the world to embody his love and kindness and goodness so that other people know that God brings hope to the desperate, to the oppressed, to the struggling. Which brings me to chapter four, learning to love, You see, as Jesus heals us, right, he begins this process of undoing these insidious consequences of the fall, right, so that we can join him in embodying his love and kindness and goodness in the world. God wants to form us into the kind of people who can embody it, not just talk about it. The truth is, this is easier said than done. People can be super annoying. They can bother us. It might be a spouse, a child, a classmate, a roommate, a clerk at the checkout counter who moves unbelievably slow. The point is, in everyday life, things can bother us. Right? Things happen, they get under our skin. And every so often we have this like, really strong, disproportionate response in everyday life, right? We want to love others, but we can sort of behave like entitled tantruming toddlers. From time to time, you might be bothered by something someone says and start to eat you up. You start to kind of obsess over it mentally. You endlessly replay it in your head. And then it leaks out in these insidious little gossiping remarks. Or maybe you're more of an attacker, a yeller, someone who, like, gets that comment and then just goes for it. I think we've all been there. Very few of us are proud of those moments. But what I've noticed is as Jesus does deeper healing work, I am getting better at recognizing when my response is disproportionate. Uh, On our sabbatical, we have lots of long drives. There was one drive in particular where I just started getting really grumpy. My wife's laughing in the front row. And anything Jeannie said, I was like short, sharp, irritable. And in the past, what I would have done is come up with a totally made up, but very reasoned out and rational reason for why it was Jeannie's fault. I'm capable of that. My guess is, so are you. But I've learned that rarely works very well. So instead, I asked, hey, can we just pull over for a minute? We pulled over, and I was like, I just need to walk. (laughs) And I realized, like, I took a second, settled in myself, started talking to Jesus, like, what is wrong with me? Which was the right question, because that had nothing to do with Jeannie. And in this case, it wasn't anything profound. I was just really uncomfortable. I felt trapped, and I just wanted to really be out of the car. And I was grumpy, and I was leaking all over the place. Now, sometimes it's very small like this. And other times, someone touches on something that really is deep and meaningful. Regardless, though, what I found is a strong response can kind of be like a check engine light where you're like, huh, something's going on on the dashboard. I should probably look into that and not be like me with my car, who's like, I think we can keep driving. (laughs) When it's an opportunity to pause, to slow down, to investigate with Jesus, Lord, what's happening in me? Why am I responding this way? Right? Maybe you sense, oh, it's shame. Right? Shame is an emotion we experience when our identity is threatened. Or maybe it's fear. Right? A signal that you perceive something to be dangerous. Right? Like l- learning as a child, I learned that people and losing <laughs> are dangerous. Right? So Foursquare was a moment of fear for me. <laughs> I'm going to win. But was I really in danger? No. But my perception was, that I was, so we got to pay attention, right? Anger, right? Anger is a signal that our expectations haven't been met. Why was I getting angry in those fellowship meetings? Oh, because I wanted them to go this way, they were going this way, and my response was anger. The point is, right, Jesus wants to form us into the kind of people that can love like He loves. He wants to form us into the kind of people that can embody his kindness and goodness in the world, and sometimes that takes some deeper work. That's why when Jesus heals us like the leper in chapter 5, he doesn't just focus on the lesions on the guy's arms, but his social connectedness. What's going on inside of him? Right, Jesus wants to deal with all the problems associated with the fall. He wants to do that in you and in me. What I've learned is that sometimes we need Jesus' healing in order to embody his love. Now I don't know exactly, I don't I, I don't know the intricacies of your story. I don't know where you are today as you walk into this room. So I don't have like do this. But I do think there's a basic process, and I do think there's some basic principles. I think one of those principles is it starts with a personal willingness. In uh, John 5, there's this guy by a pool. He's been sitting there, unable to walk for 38 years. Thirty-eight years. So Jesus, what he does, he goes in and heals him immediately. No. You want to know what he asks this guy? 38 years. First thing he says to him is, do you want to be healed? How many times do we come into church with the same patterns, the same brokenness, and we keep God at arm's distance because the truth is, sometimes it is harder and more vulnerable to let Jesus into the broken things we're comfortable with? Do you want to be healed this morning from generational patterns that you've inherited? Do you want to be healed from the ways in which you've been mistreated and has created this consequence, this series of consequences in your life? Do you want to be healed One of the things that stands out to me in the Luke 5 story that we started with is the guy comes up and he says to Jesus, right? If you are willing, make me clean. Not are you powerful enough? Are you willing, right? That's some of the vulnerability of this. We know God could snap his fingers and it'd be done. God, are you willing? And then on my end, am I willing to enter into that vulnerability to say to God, yeah, I've dealt with this for 38 years. Are you willing, please, to heal me? Two questions that think may be our way of putting our toe in the water. Question one is this, right? Maybe this week just identify three experiences from your past that negatively affect you today. Just talk with Jesus about how those experiences shape your day-to-day life with God and others. What would it be like for Jesus to come near and bring healing to you? Do you know how it would affect your day-to-day life? How would you behave differently? How would you think differently? How would your emotional experience of everyday life shift if Jesus showed up? Question two, are there areas of your life that you keep hidden from others? Why is that? What would it look like if you were to invite others into that area or those areas so that people could pray for you? And this is, I mean, don't just, just as a, as a word, right? Like, not everyone is safe. <laughs> so, we're not saying, like, you know, just start sharing with anyone. I'm talking about trusted people. What would it look like if you said, hey, these people love me? What would it look like for you to let them in on that thing in your life? And it begins with personal willingness, two, it leads to letting others help in the process. Right, I share two examples from my story of one person who tried to help, Sarah, that I totally ignored. And then one person who did help, David, who I actually kind of let guide me. The truth is, like, we need other people. None of us show up to the spiritual life with all the tools we need to rock it. God created the church community so that in the presence of Jesus, we could walk with one another. Healing never takes place, or very rarely takes place, just on a mountaintop, by ourselves. Almost always that healing is lived out in community. Third, I would say, you know, it begins in a personal willingness, it leads to others' help in the process, and it always centers around the person, Jesus. I just think this this one's really important because um, there's lots of secular approaches to healing, which I would say are very helpful. Like, I would say supplements, right? They are not substitutes for a relationship with Jesus and living among God's people. I mean, like, therapy, you know, is sort of like very in at the moment, and you know, I've receive therapy, I practice as a therapist, and you know, there's good things about that. There, you can be a place where someone can process their emotions. It can be a place where someone learns about their story. It can be a place where someone realizes what's going on in their bodies, in their mental narratives. You can get some some tools to help you process and love other people better. Awesome. But therapy is never going to be a substitute for worship and prayer and living life among God's people. It's always going to be a supplement when needed. Right, big picture, Jesus wants to heal us so that we can flourish and break generational patterns that have plagued our families and our communities. He wants to heal us so that we can enjoy community together. We can break bread together without a fear that we're going to be exposed or shamed. He wants us to enjoy one another. He wants us to escape and be healed of that internal war inside of us, often driven by shame and fear, making us wonder whether we are good enough or okay to be at the table. The truth is, we all carry wounds into the church. And when we refuse to deal with them, it makes community painful and difficult. Jesus wants to heal us so we can be living testimonies of His transformative power. This is the hard thing. When we don't receive that from Him, we actually undermine our and the church's witness in the world. We're going to invite the worship team back up here. I just want to end with one Last story from Acts 3. Um, In the book of Acts, there's this great story. In chapter 3, Peter heals uh, this man who was born unable to walk. And he doesn't say to him, you know, Peter, in the name of Peter, I heal you. This is what he says. He says, silver or gold, I do not have. But what I have, I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Walk. None of us brings enough silver or gold to the table. (laughs) What Peter has is a connection to Jesus, and through Jesus comes healing. And as a result of this healing, this man jumps up with joy. That's what we're going to say today, right, that through Jesus, healing is possible, that change is possible, that joy is possible, no matter how stuck you are today, in your life, in your marriage, in your relationships, joy is possible through the healing power of Jesus. That might not happen immediately, but my experience is when we are willing to continue on that long journey of trust, Jesus heals and transforms us. He's faithful. As we trust Him more, He carries us at deeper and deeper places in His grace. I just want to take a second just to pray for us. It's my hope um, that this message would nudge you a little bit closer to the person of Jesus, that you might experience his touch this morning. Holy Spirit, as we ask for, pray for your touch, pray for your presence, because we know that's where it all starts. I just pray, God, for those like me who just have walls built around them, that you would find a way to sneak in. That you would find a way to bring your grace and kindness. God, for those of us who carry wounds that have been inflicted on us, God, we just pray for safety, pray for your kindness, your gentleness, Jesus. Jesus says, I am gentle and lowly at heart. God, may that gentleness be here this morning. In our spots of brokenness, in our places of vulnerability. Touch us, God. Restore us, God. To you, to community. Defeat that mental narrative, that internal war that just makes us question everything, God. We're your people. We're at your table. We're in your presence. Please come. If you are willing, heal us wherever we're at in the journey. I should remember the leper. What he does, he falls on his face before Jesus, and just sometimes our posture can reflect our heart's posture. Just make really you feel totally free. If you want to sit, if you want to get on your knees and bow down, if you want to raise your hands up, because Jesus has brought you healing, and you say, "Jesus, to you, I raise my hands up to you to say, you have transformed me." Today, as a way to declare your heart's posture, God may freedom reign in this place that we can worship you freely.